This week, who still uses LiveJournal? If you do, you're going to want to hear this. More IoT devices are hacked and publicly shamed, but is this the right approach? The messaging app that is now, air quotes, secure, stealing code, tracking the CIA, word zero day, CAA DNS records, and hacking sirens. Expert commentary this week from Don Pazette from ITPro.TV. Stay tuned for this episode of Hack Naked News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show that brings you the security news each week. And despite popular belief, we do wear pants. It's Hack Naked News. Brought to you by IT Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Stream over 2,000 hours of up to date, high quality video content live and on demand. For a free seven day trial and for a limited time, get 50% off a monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Visit itpro.tv forward slash hack naked and use the code HN50. Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome to Hack Naked News, episode 119 for April 11th, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian. With a quick announcement, ITPro.tv's courses now include ITIL, Managing the Lifecycle, and Microsoft Hello for Business. You'd normally pay $85.70 a month or $857 per year, but we have a special offer for our listeners. For a limited time, get 50% off a monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription by visiting ITPro.tv forward slash hack naked and use the code HN50. In the news for this week, the Russian-owned Live Journal, that's right, a Russian company bought them in 2007, bans political talk and adds risk of spying. If you ever considered using Live Journal, well, you just really shouldn't. Who uses Live Journal anymore anyway? Recently, the Russian-owned Live Journal has banned political solicitation, which can mean anything that criticizes the Russian government as well as pro-LGBTQ discussions. There are also concerns that users can be subject to Russian spying. Why they would do this to their user base is puzzling, especially when the number of free blogging and publication sites available on the internet today. Uh, insecure database, uh, sorry, uh, travel routers, NAS devices are among those hacked. Security researcher Jan Horsch discovered a number of vulnerabilities in several different IoT devices. Nothing new, including hard-coded root passwords that cannot be changed. Horsch is quoted as saying, please let researchers help the dev guys. It's, the utmost important, it's of the utmost importance that companies do bug bounty programs. Even if you give out the programs, just let them have a way to disclose the bugs without having to write five emails. It just takes too much time for independent researchers, and it's not possible. 
I'm certain five emails probably isn't what he meant by taking too much time. However, the entire process for disclosure in a lot of these IoT companies is non-existent, which means it's five emails before you get to someone who'll even listen, and then maybe it's a 50-50 shot if that's even the right person. Clearly, we have our work cut out for us to raise awareness in circles outside of our own for IoT device security. Uh, Signal is a popular uh, so-called secure messaging app. The encryption protocol was developed, of course, by Open Whisper Systems and is used by millions. It can be found in Signal's own app, and it is what's used in WhatsApp and Facebook's Messenger secret conversation mode and Google's Allo encrypted messaging service. Researchers recently uncovered six flaws which have been privately disclosed and fixed. The researchers were also quick to point out that the signal code base has not undergone much public scrutiny in terms of security, which is often the downfall of many software applications, especially those implementing encryption. The good news is the bugs are fixed, and hopefully we see a bug bounty program in the future for the signal application. A computer engineer has been charged with theft of proprietary code, Zhang Quan Zhang, Zhang Quan Zhang of California has been arrested and charged by a U.S. federal court with stealing trade secrets from his employer. Get this, a New York financial services firm. The DOJ release uh, release says that between March 16th and March uh, of 2016 and March of 2017, Zhang stole over three million files of confidential data and computer code, including the company's source code for algorithms for trading models and trading uh, platforms. Proof that insider threat is, uh, while not the most frequently occurring thing in security ever, uh, but very damaging when it does happen, as that's very, very critical information to any financial services firm, of course. Hackers have reported as setting off 156 tornado sirens over a dozen times. Last Friday and early Saturday morning, hackers set off 156 emergency sirens in and around the city of Dallas, Dallas, Texas. The system was shut down entirely after confirming there was no actual emergency. We don't know who and we don't know how, which is kind of pointless in covering the story, except that it must have been interesting hearing all of those sirens go off all at once over and over again. But city officials have confirmed that the system was in fact compromised. Hopefully we have more details as they emerge. The CIA has been tracked to 40 hacks around the world. Symantec has reported that spying tools and operational protocols detailed in the recent Vault 7 leak have been used in cyber attacks at at least 40 targets in 16 different countries by a group called that they dubbed Longhorn. Longhorn has been active, according to Symantec, since at least 2011 and has infiltrated targets in government, financial, telecoms, energy, aerospace, education, and natural resource sectors. Typically, these were all in Middle Eastern, European, Asian, and African countries, although one, one computer, one computer was briefly, briefly infected in the United States. And they're making a big stink about the one computer that was in the United States because it's actually illegal for the CIA to do that. Uh, DNS records will help prevent against SSL certificates and misuse. Well, while not a silver bullet, the uh, CAA... I guess in Canada, that'd be a CAAA. 
The certi- certification authority authorization record in your DNS could help limit unauthorized certificate issuance. The domain owner can specify the CAs allowed to issue the SSL and TLS certificates for that domain. The standard has been around since 2013. However, in March, the CA slash B forum voted to make CAA record checking mandatory as part of the certificate issuing process. A. Uh, attackers are using a word zero day in the wild. Malware uh, that was found in the wild, including a banking trojan dubbed Dridex, has been found exploiting a zero day vulnerability in Microsoft Word. The vulnerability affects all current Office versions used on every Windows operating system, including the latest Office 2016 on Windows 10. The attack works by first downloading a Word document that prompts you to then download an additional Word document. The subsequent Word document is compiled in HTML containing the malicious code and does not prompt the user to enable macros uh, as it's not necessary for the attack to be successful. Microsoft has not yet released a patch. However, you can open Word attack, uh, attachments or you can not open Word attachments in the meantime, which is probably the best defense. However, your users are still going to open Word attachments and using a Word viewer program that is not vulnerable is probably your best line of defense. I'm curious to know how this attack works on Office 365, as we've postulated in the past, how attacks against Google Docs, for example, uh, would be interpreted by the system. And that rounds out the news for this week. We're going to take a very short break and come back with Don Pazette from IT Pro TV, so stay tuned. Has your network been breached? Cyber Reason can help you answer this question. Cyber Reason products hunt for threats within your network and eliminate them in real time. To Cyber Reason, real time means within seconds. Founded by former military hackers who don't play by the rules, they've built this experience into their platform. Harness ingenuity and imagination, not just code, to defeat attackers. Cyber Reason, disrupt the adversary and let the hunt begin. Gain control of cyber risk with Tenable IO, the first vulnerability management platform built for today's elastic assets like cloud, containers, and web apps. Discover a fresh, asset-based approach that prioritizes vulnerabilities while seamlessly integrating into your environment. And improve ROI with the first elastic licensing approach based on assets, not IP addresses. Tenable IO delivers the data and context you need to secure your elastic attack surface. Start your free Tenable IO trial today by visiting tenable.io. Welcome back to Hack Naked News. A uh, quick announcement of the 10th anniversary edition of Source Boston is being held this April. Training sessions will be held the 24th through the 25th. And conference talks, including mine, will happen on the 26th and 27th. Uh, events will take place in the Boston Courtyard Marriott downtown. And Security Week listeners get $100 off either the training or the conference passes when using the discount code Security Weekly. Visit SourceConference.com for more information. Welcome to the show. Don Pazette from ITPro.tv, whose office I was standing in just last week with a lovely, a lovely visit. Welcome, Don. Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. We had quite a few people here, and uh, you know, it was just a chance to meet people in person and get you out of your element. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you uh, invited a bunch of hackers to ITPro.tv. I hope, I hope everyone's not scarred for life from that visit. <laughs> Maybe we we had to destroy every computer afterwards. But other than that, it was great. <laughs> oh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> so, Don, what did you want to chat about today? Don, you, you and I, I think, could talk about really a, a, a wide variety of topics that maybe range from science fiction to, to scotch. But uh, we have to talk <laughs> about security on this program, which is okay, which is okay. 
you know, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the the tornado alarms in in Texas, where you know that type of compromise. It's it's kind of funny, you know. You, you read about it and you hear about these sirens going off between midnight and three a.m. and and I can kind of I can see the humor in that, mm -hmm. right? You, you just hear these things going off, but I think it highlights a, a problem that it. It's very, very much like the IoT problem, but it kind of predates it, that there are a ton of infrastructure services out there that are not being designed with security in mind that are really poorly implemented, but people don't think to second check because they're they're critical infrastructure like those alarms. You know, that there's, there's so much equipment that's going unchecked right now like that. Yeah, it's interesting how systems such as 911, uh, communication systems for police and fire, uh, this emergency, uh, any kind of emergency broadcast system or emergency siren, it, it, you're right, it's very much like uh, critical infrastructure in that years ago, these were not internet-connected or networked systems, right? It was all analog, essentially. And as we move forward and integrate technology into these emergency systems, we, we find that, oh my God, like we didn't think about security at, at all. At all, and we just connected them because I imagine in a lot of these cities and towns, and Doug White has a lot of insight on this as well. Uh, a lot of these cities and towns have um, like a, a mock uh, emergency, right? Uh, a, a, that kind of exercise, an exercise, and they do that to improve the communications during any kind of emergency. It could be power outage, it could be whatever the scenario is. And I think they come out of that and they go, oh, it'd be great if we could all communicate faster. And then that translates down to, well, let's just start connecting these emergency systems. And here we see, you know, people have had some fun and, and, and broken into them. Yeah. And a lot of these systems are super proprietary, right? Which I, I've never had the opportunity to work on a, a tornado alarm. So I, I imagine that's pretty darn proprietary. So they, they probably put out a bid, you know, and, and yep. select a contractor. The contractor comes and does the full install and says, hey, we're going to network connect this so we can remotely manage it if you have any problems. And then everybody says, hey, don't touch that device. Like those are the, those are the alarms. We don't want to mess with those. And so you have these devices that aren't getting updated, aren't mm -hmm. getting patched. If, if patches are even being released, right, a lot of times they aren't. And you end up with a network that is just waiting for an opportunity like this. And I could I could completely see somebody, maybe maybe somebody who had some inside information who had worked on that network before, uh, who who says like, hey, look, I can connect in remotely and I can set these alarms off. It'll be a blast. And and I think it really highlights how we should not necessarily trust our own devices. And we've been talking about IoT a lot over the last year really because mm -hmm. you get these devices that you, you think you can trust but the software development's not where it should be well here we're seeing what are our likely hundred thousand or million dollar devices and equipment and infrastructure that's put in place that hasn't really seen any more attention than the iot devices have that you get for 50 bucks off of, of amazon you know what what i find interesting don is i, I look uh, back on my career and i kind of uh, i think about how this happens and i i think i saw it a lot in a university space certainly and i want to get your take on this is you know the organization whether it's a university or a, a government uh, town or city or state has a problem and they're like we need technology to solve this problem and like you said they put it out to bid and i think a lot of times the bid is so large that 
they go with a company that maybe isn't the largest company, and maybe they're not the smallest company, but they might be the cheapest company. And that company has enough money in the budget to basically custom roll something, right? Make it work to fit their requirements because they want the bid. They're like, we're going to custom make this device. We're going to custom make this software and we're going to put it in. It's going to work great. And then like once that contract ends or that bid ends, there's no maintenance that happens. Like that technology is in there and working and that company's going off to develop something for someone else. And it's completely forgotten about. And security is not even a thought in anyone's mind. And it sits there for years until a hacker like you or me or someone else comes along and we do security testing and we're like, what is that thing? Oh my God, like it's running really old. So I can just tell that to it and, and control it. Is that oftentimes how it happens? It really is. You see this abandoned equipment. And, you know, I had the opportunity to work with a CISO out in Seattle uh, several years ago. Uh, Kumar, if you're listening, hi. Uh, and, and he taught me how you really shouldn't trust any device. And so anytime we brought in a new solution, even even if it was a standard, you know, like a, a web server deployed on Red Hat Linux or something, mm-hmm. he would always take it. In, and his, his saying was, you know, what does a VLAN cost you? Cost you nothing, right? VLANs are they're virtual. They don't cost you a dime. Mm-hmm. And so Every solution was in its own VLAN. And then he did that because once it was isolated like that, it was easy for us to monitor it so we could see the traffic going in and out and recognize it was using non-secure protocols. But on top of that, we could control the traffic. You could do rules and filters to control who was able to get to it. So did it make sense for an outside IP address to be able to get to the alarm systems for those those tornado alarms? Probably not. Maybe Maybe the IPs of whoever developed that hardware, that would make sense, but these other ones, no. So those are things that if you just give blanket access to a device to get to the internet, you're opening yourself up to. And I think we're going to see more and more news stories like these, not just IoT, not just a, a door lock on a building, but bigger things like the, the electrical power grids and uh, stoplights, other infrastructure services that are just not paid attention to. You know, I, I also think it's a, a cultural shift. Uh, when I worked at university and would consult on projects uh, such as this, where a vendor was uh, coming in to provide a technology solution, and they would give me their requirements. and like, oh, we need all these ports open to the entire internet to, so we can manage it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait. Like, why can't these devices talk back to you? Or now, as we fast forward, you know, 10 years or whatever, we can talk, have those devices talk back to the cloud. And, and how much better is that, that the management can happen? I think it also underscores not just how the management happens, but that there's some kind of maintenance agreement in place. And I think that's also kind of a cultural thing, that you're not just getting this appliance, like a lamp or a light, and it's just going to sit there, you know, stagnant and work <laughs> until the day that it just keels over and dies, right? These are living, breathing systems. Maintenance has to be built into this uh, project and reach a point where either you're getting new technology or some type of upgrade, and there needs to be a continuing plan for all of the technology used, especially in infrastructure such as this. Yeah, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've dealt with a vendor where they brought in a solution. They said, "Okay, our, our solution runs on top of Red Hat Enterprise Linux." All right, great. I, I love Red Hat. I, I can operate in that environment, no problem. And I start reading through their build instructions, and you get to you know step twenty. Let's disable SE Linux. And, and you yep. look at that and you're like, well, why are you doing that? Or let's disable the Windows firewall so this service mm-hmm. can run. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, they're working on providing a feature and security is kind of a secondary thought versus us. If you're the one responsible for the network, 
security needs to be a, a higher level of, of thought. And and when it's something like critical infrastructure, like those those tornado alarms, I hear about that and I think, boy, that's that's critical infrastructure. They've got to guarantee that that's up and functional. And here, for a period of time, they had to shut the alarms off. Right. And that shouldn't happen. So that that needs to be uh, in the private sector. We have business impact analyses where, where you look and, and evaluate what's critical in the public infrastructure like that. It, it can be life or death. It can be a big deal. So it, people need to be focused on that. And I also think what people need to focus on is resiliency. It's not necessarily security. And I think a lot of us will you know, go to a particular vendor like this and say, well, you need to be secure. Whereas we can approach it and say, how would you like to be more resilient? Right. And I think that this case where the system was hacked, it's the same thing as if lightning were to strike one of these devices or a car were to run into the pole that it, that it sits on or uh, a fuse blow, you know, some kind of electronics issue. It's all the same thing. It's all about being resilient. And security is one of those huge components, especially as we march forward and everything is connected. I ho really hope that security is part of that resiliency when you build a device that security is just part of it because it has to function. If it's not secure, then it might not function or someone else may take control over it and they control the function of it. In this case, they set them off. What if they set them so that they would never go off? And what impact could that have in your impact analysis, Don? That's probably even worse. <laughs> yeah. What, what we saw was really a prank, yeah. right? I, you know, it, it set off the alarms, but you're right. If they had stopped the alarms from going off, people could have been in real danger. You know, tornadoes, you do not get a lot of a warning. When a tornado comes, they come out of the blue. It's not mm -hmm. like we have hurricanes in Florida, and yeah. it's easy for us to be casual about hurricanes because you know a week in advance that they're coming. Mm -hmm. But a tornado, that, that's serious stuff. So you've got to worry about that. Now, let's tie this into our other news article about the uh, the software engineer who stole all the source code, mm -hmm. right? Um, which I think is pretty entertaining because he, he stole millions of lines of source code as, as recently as March of this year. Well, it, we're only, what, April 11th or something? So, yeah. so, uh, so basically, right up until this article was written, he, he's been stealing code. So what does that matter to us? And if he's a disgruntled employee and he leaves the company or he's selling that source code off to someone else, someone could be spending the time to dig through that code and looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses that can be exploited and then finding their way in. So any proprietary systems that we develop internally, mm -hmm. we need to be protecting that code. And just because you have a developer, it doesn't mean let's give them access to the whole code base. We've always got to do that principle of least privilege, right? Give people the, the access to the minimum amount of data to be able to perform their job and make sure that we we keep our intellectual, privacy, uh, intellectual property private so that we don't expose those vulnerabilities. And hopefully we're, we're fixing and closing those vulnerabilities as part of secure coding. But if that stuff leaks out, it, it is just another opportunity for people outside the organization to be able to get in. Absolutely. Don Pazette from ITPro.TV helping out with this episode of Hack Naked News. Thanks you, thank you, everyone, for listening and watching to this episode. And we'll see you next time.